my son. If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Come on, everybody. Who can compare to our God who is like unto him? For he is mighty, glorious, far above principalities and powers over all the works of evil. And we celebrate his presence today. You ready for the word? Today a word. Come on, just open your heart to the Holy Spirit for the next few moments because God has a word for us today. I believe this word will bring transformation to our lives. I know it will. In the five passages we just read together from Proverbs chapter 2, in these five passages, eight verbs are used, action words, eight of them in five passages. First, receive. Receive my words. Treasure. Treasure my commandments within you. Make. Make your ear attentive. Incline. Incline your heart to understanding. Cry. Cry out for insight. Raise your voice. For understanding, seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure. Eight verbs. There are also three ifs in these passages. If you will receive, if you cry out, if you seek and search for her, if you will do all of these things, then, then, we have the word then, appearing after the three ifs, then, which is introducing the results, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. It all ends with discovery, but it all begins with effort. It all begins with putting forth effort, great exertion to uncover the hidden treasure. It ends with discovery, but that's not how it begins. It begins with receiving, treasuring, making your ear attentive, inclining your heart crying out for insight, raising your voice 
seeking her as silver, searching for her as hidden treasure. If you do these then, then you will understand the fear of God. Then you will discover the knowledge of God uncovering the hidden treasures. I read this week that in the nation of Brazil during the 19th century, when abolitionists were fighting with all of their might to break the yoke of slavery off that nation. In fact, the nation of Brazil brought in, in the Americas, the nation of Brazil brought in more slaves than any other nation. And the abolitionists fought and fought to break that yoke of slavery off of their off of their nation. And so in their fight, the abolitionists came up with quite an incentive, an initiative. And the amazing thing is the incentive or the initiative that they came up with was approved by the government. And this would have never, this would have never happened previously, but times were changing and there was much pressure being applied to to see the nation set free from the horrible bondage of slavery. So the abolitionists came up with this, this initiative. They were invited, slaves were invited to be employed. That in itself was quite something because they were offered employment. And here's what they were offered employment to do, to go to the riverbed of Rio Janeiro and to scrape up soil from the riverbed and begin to wash it to wash that soil very carefully in order to find particles of gold and diamonds. The diamond industry in Brazil was just beginning, and so the abolitionists came up with this idea, this incentive, to invite slaves to be employed to come and gather up from the riverbed the soil of Rio Janeiro the river that flows right through the center of Rio de Janeiro, and to wash that soil and to search every particle of that soil for gold and diamonds. Now, what made this such a defining moment in this long-fought battle was that the abolitionists succeeded. They succeeded with the government in having the government make it a law, a law of the state, that upon finding diamonds, any slave who found diamonds or a diamond, those slaves would be set free. Those slaves would be set free. That became a law of the state. Now the account that I read stated that it was near to impossible to describe the passionate effort that was put forth in the search. This article said it was extremely difficult to adequately describe 
the passion that was put forth in the washing of the soil, tediously combing through every particle of that soil in order to find the gemstones. But it would be well worth the effort for in the discovery of those diamonds, it would mean something for them of far greater value than the gem itself. They would find their freedom. Wow. Church, the immense wealth that is contained within the word of God is beyond anything comparable in this world and in this life. God longs that we, his children, would seek in the same manner, that we would display the same passionate effort to discover the vast riches that he has already laid up in store in his mighty word for us, his children. And when we discover them and when we uncover them and when we take them and they become part of our lives, so do we find our freedom. And so do we live in our freedom. For he who finds, he who has the Son has life and he who has set free is free indeed by this word. Can we give God praise and glory today? The question is, How desperate are we to be set free? How desperate are we to live free? Today I continue our series, Discovery, which is laying out for us the theme of 2022 as a church. It is our year to discover. It's our year of discovery. And God has such good things ready, such good things in store for us, his people. Scientists, physicists, and researchers of all kinds basically agree on one thing. As I'm looking into and studying this subject and going through and reading and learning of great discoveries made, I'm... I'm learning something that I I see as a thread and tying it together. Scientists and physicists, people, researchers in all kinds of fields, they all basically agree on one thing, and that is the underlying key to the progression of humanity is discovery. The underlying key to the progression of, of humanity is discovery. They they will also tell you without hesitation that discoveries are made through rigorous searching. Rigorous searching. They begin by searching on a broad scale or a broad range and that is followed again and again by refined searching never failing to pour over and pour over the material that they're uncovering and the, and the things that they are, they are pe- beginning to piece together. Some of this, some of this data and, and information is years, hundreds of years old. 
discoverers put forth, and they all bear record that discovery is a minute thing. It's a minute thing, meaning one must, without reservation, be radically, totally, and radically committed to process the smallest of details. For this is so often where the breakthrough discoveries are made, not in the big, obvious, grand scale of things, but it's in those small, minute details, the smallest of details. It is a long, arduous undertaking. In fact, many scientists and many who seek discoveries spend their entire life studying the smallest of details and never come to the discovery that they long to make. But they are radically committed for hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year to study, to give themselves to the process and process the smallest of details. This undertaking requires unflappable concentration. Discoverers will tell you it demands unflappable concentration, immense patience, never losing your determination to work slowly towards what may seem to appear as insignificant data, as insignificant results. They continue to work slowly, methodically, carefully, concentrating, patient on that which may seem as insignificant data or results. But those who pay the price, I said, but those who pay the price, they are often rewarded with a discovery that serves as a catalyst for transformation in their generation with the potential to impact generations to come. And with that thought in mind, potential, with the potential to impact generations to come. We want to continue today in our discovery series, the first element or the first aspect of discovery that we are focusing on, and that is your potential. Discovering your potential. Today we're going to the book of Judges. Once more, we're going to go to Judges 7. When it comes to the subject of potential, we have the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, one of the 12 judges of Israel during the time of the Judges. And Gideon is a classic example of an individual who discovered his potential. And by the discovery of his potential, he impacted his generation and generations to come. In Judges chapter 7, we're going to focus in particular and uncover a truth to discovering your potential. But in the previous chapter, Judges chapter 6, it says, 
I think around verse 34, it says that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. That's Judges 6, 34. And I I bring you to this scripture because we're going to return to it in a few moments. And I want you to really take note of this scripture. It says that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. And he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. And then we come to Judges chapter 7. And at last, at long last, the time has come for Gideon to face the Midianites. At long last, this is the time in God preparing his man for Gideon to come onto the scene and be used of God to see the land freed of the oppression the Midianites had for seven years brought upon the people. Now, when Gideon blew this horn, this ram's horn, making a call to arms, 30,000 warriors, the Bible says, 30,000 gathered themselves to him. And that sounds like a lot of men. But the fact is, if you read and study this, you'll find that the Midianites had 135,000 men. So we have a great response. Gideon had to be somewhat excited that he had at least 30,000, even though he's still outnumbered five to one. He's still like, we've got 30,000. But in order that victory against Midian might be clearly divine, the Lord reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 to 10,000 by sending the fearful and the faint-hearted back to the house, sending them home. And you know what? We, We look at this and we might be intrigued by this. Why would Gideon, who's outnumbered five to one, why would he stand and tell the army, if you're afraid... If you, a bunch of you are scaredy cats, go back home. Actually, what Gideon was doing was fulfilling the law. It was a law. It was written in the law that this action was to take place. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. This is the law given to the nation in the time when the nation was to go to war. Here's what God said. The officers will also say to the people and to the army, is anyone here afraid or worried? If you are, you may go home before you frighten anyone else. So Gideon is keeping the law. And so 20 thousand of them took him up on his word and in order to reduce the army still further God tested the soldiers at the river 
And God said those who jump into the river and begin to drink on their knees, they are to be eliminated. So 9,700 men out of the 10,000 remaining, 9,700 of them, when they were taken down to the river, they jumped in with all fours. And they began to drink while 300 of them, God says, those who lap water like a dog. So 300 of them went and scooped up water from the river and began to drink the water in their cupped hand while maintaining their watchfulness. And God said, by the 300, those are the ones I'm going to use. The 9,700 can go back home, but the 300 is who I will use. Now let's turn to Judges 7, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. He divided the 300 men into three groups. And he gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the horns the, the horns, and they broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with swords. Those who were not killed fled. That's the God we serve, everybody. Oh, yeah, come on, let's give him glory. Woohoo! Now, quickly, the fourth lesson to discover your potential. The fourth lesson to discover your potential is found in verse 20. Then, all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Notice that phrase, they broke They broke their jars. Now track with me carefully because there's something so amazing here. The word jar is a large pottery jar. Pottery jar. It's a vessel made from clay. a vessel made from clay for holding water or flour. 
for holding water or flour. Now in Scripture, when you begin to study the subject of jars, you will learn that a jar was a symbol of life. It was a symbol of life. It was designed to hold water or flour, and water is life. All of us know water is life. You cannot live long without water. That's why when Moses went to the mountain and he neither ate nor drank for 40 days, that was supernatural. God kept him alive supernaturally. You cannot live without water, the human body, physical body. Water is life, and bread, from the flour, bread is made, and bread, we know, is the staff of life. So that's what it symbolizes in Scripture. However, there's something else you need to understand. In Scripture, the breaking of a jar indicated death. The breaking of a jar indicated death. You can read about that in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7. One other thing to note, clay in Scripture represents a man, or more specifically, it represents the nature of man. Many times, man and the and the, the physical element or aspect of man is referred to as a clay vessel in Scripture, but also especially regarding the nature of man as us being vessels of clay. And clay is not a strong substance. Clay is easily broken. And just as man is very, very vulnerable And man is a very weak creation and creature. God made it that way so that we would be dependent upon Him for everything. That we would look to Him, not to ourselves, for everything. Now look at this. In verse 17, Gideon told his army, Keep your eyes on me. Do just as I do. Now, at midnight, at the change of the guard, what did he do? He and his men sounded their horns, and then they broke their jars with everyone following suit. Once each jar was broken, oh, listen to me. Once each jar was broken, the light that was in, the light that was within those jars became visible, became visible. I think you know where we're going with this. Once that jar was broken, the light that was hidden within that vessel became visible, and that war cry was then made, and the victory came over the enemy to discover your potential. Number four, break the vessel of the old nature. Break the vessel 
of that old you. That old nature. Clay represents the nature of man. Paul said we have this treasure in hidden vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When we break that old nature, without a doubt the victory that Gideon gained over the Midianites through this seemingly strange military strategy, it was a great feat. But the greater feat, for sure the greater feat, was the bringing of the entire nation of Israel back to God. That's generational impact. And that was his greatest feat. After seven years of Midianite oppression, it was a stunning, it was a stunning victory. But the first victory, and this is why, look at me please, this is why Gideon told his men, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Now, he told them this just before they went into the battle with the Midianites. Keep your eyes on me. Do just as I do. Why would Gideon do that or say that or require that of his men? Because, listen, you got to get this. All through the process that Gideon was going through, all through the process that he took to get him to this point, the victory that he, the victory that he attained over the Midianites wasn't his first victory. The first victory that Gideon gained was over himself, over his weak, struggling nature. Come on, not to lean on the arm of the flesh. Keep your eyes on me. I've been clothed with the Spirit of God. And I've gone through a process of learning not to depend upon the flesh and not to live and not to move. God is, God is taking me, has taken me through a great process. So keep your eyes on me and do just as I do. And what's the first thing he did? He blew the horn and then broke the vessel of clay and let that light shine forth. That's why he could tell his men to keep their eyes on him. How many people of God today are held captive to their old nature, the carnal, the sinful nature which keeps them from reaching their full potential in God? You see, church, our bodies are earthen vessels, vessels of clay, and it's only as we die, it's only as we die to self the breaking in Scripture, the breaking of the jar indicates death. It's only as we die to self, breaking the vessel of the old nature, that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God will shine forth unto others. I finish with Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. I have discovered, Paul said, look at this. Paul the Apostle says, I have discovered, Paul was a discoverer. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do 
What is wrong? I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by His dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Give Him praise, church. Give Him glory, church. Give Him greater glory. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are children of God. Come on, everybody. May we as God's people keep our eyes on Jesus in the battle. Come on. May we keep our eyes on Jesus in the battle. May we who have been clothed by the Holy Spirit through His power break the vessel of the old sinful nature that demands control. May we refuse to follow the inclinations and the desires of the sinful nature. Let us deny the efforts of that old nature to impose its lifestyle on us, enslaving us and hiding the glorious light of the gospel that's been placed within us. And may we live each day set free, making that discovery. Woo! Digging, digging, searching. Come on, going through every part of the process, looking at all the details. And we're searching because when we find it, oh, we have found our freedom. We have found our freedom. When we find it, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Is free indeed. And we give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. We're no longer slaves. No longer slaves unto sin. But that old carnal nature is broken. And the glorious light of the gospel is shining out of us. We are free. We are free. You say, Pastor, there's just some areas where I'm in just some bondage to this carnality and this old, old things that I've been delivered from calling me back. I want to hear that trumpet of the Holy Spirit sound today. 
Oh, I want to hear that trumpet of the Holy Spirit. I want to see this old thing broken out of my life. I want that bondage out of me. Pastor, I want to stand before God today, coming to the fullness of all He has purpose for my life. I'm tired of being held back by this old nature. Pastor, I want to be set free from areas of carnality in my life. Let's just put a cap on my capabilities and it's just, it's, it's, it's causing me to just be sidetracked. And Come on. Come on. Let God deal with you right now. Let the Holy Spirit begin to search through every area of your life, finding and searching every little detail of your heart, the deepest recesses of your heart. You say, Pastor, I, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. Come on. Right now, I want to pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Those things in our lives that we found, oh God, that areas of carnality and the things of this world that have been calling us and pulling us back. Lord, today in Jesus' name, may they be broken by the power of the Holy Ghost. May we be set free as your people. May we be delivered. May we run into the enemy's camp, holding forth the light of your word and our lives set free. I thank you for freedom coming to every heart here today. Lord, we're just giving up carnality. We're giving up areas that have caused us to miss what you have and to come to our potential. We made a discovery today, Father, in Jesus' name. Now give him glory and give him praise. Woohoo! Now let's have a great week, everybody. Let's have an amazing week. Let's continue to discover the good things God has for us.